had that, that's rough on a 20-year-old, let alone 96. And so she's battling with that. And while that was happening, Gwen, her uh, daughter that takes care of her, uh, broke her back when a tree limb fell and she fell across the ladder and it broke her back. And so uh, keep them in prayer. And uh, so I've, I've got a list of everyone else and we know who they are. Uh, but Leroy also has to go back in and have something done to his leg again because it just ain't working right. So he asked that we would pray for him this morning. And we're going, we're going to pray him in and, and everyone that we've mentioned and everyone on the list, uh, we're going to include on this. And if you are here and you haven't come forward or if uh, you haven't made mention God knows that too, so this is going and directing into your direction as well. And, and uh, I'm going to ask Brother Andrew to, to do the honor of praying. Heavenly Father, you're the one that knows everything. You know us intimately. You knew us before we were even born. You know our days that are numbered. We praise and honor you for every one of them. We ask you to be with Leroy. Heal and strengthen him, Father. You be the physician. Help the others to just be obedient servants. We pray that your will is done in his life and ours each and every day. We ask this through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Which way do you want me to throw it? <laughs> and got another special request, so hang on with me. I want all of Libby's grandchildren to, to come up here that, that just graduated and is getting ready to go in to uh, service and school. Katie, Katie's working? Okay. Okay. I want John first. Tom. Then I've got um, Luke and Gracie. And I had the honor of baptizing this one into Christ. And you two gentlemen are going into the military service, aren't you? And you're going into veterinary school. Yes. Praise God. We got military service. We've got veterinary school to service that, and we've got child care to service that. So you guys are devoting your lives to Christ and to service for, for God, country, and community. And um, they're going to be leaving on September 7th and um, going to basic training at Lackland Air Force Base, Texas. Uh, they're going to graduate November 11th. Tom's going to be heading to Shepherd Air Force Base in, in Texas. John's going to go to Fort Sam Houston for medical training. So that's where they're going to get ready to go. My, my eyes always get a little sweaty about this time because the heat is just so intense. But praise God for that. Now, you know what? One of my buddies is here today, too, that we went in to the Army July 10th, 1979. I didn't know the things that I know now, but I want to share with you that what you're doing is an honor 
before God and before your country, that this is a God-ordained thing. The first time that we have this mentioned is in uh, the book of Genesis, and it's with Abraham. And there was a time that before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and Lot was there, five kings of, of the north and the east came and attacked, took everything, took Lot, took all, all of the members of the family, all of the stuff from there, and one, one person escaped and came and told Abraham. There was probably between 100,000 and 200,000 troops from these five nations that came against Sodom and Gomorrah and the, and the five cities there. When Abraham heard that they had taken his nephew Lot... He didn't say, well, there's nothing I can do about it but pray. It says in the word of God that Abraham had 318 servants that were with him who were trained men that he had trained in the art of battle. And he took 318 trained men and he went against 100 to 200,000 trained soldiers who weren't of God. And God says, I don't care what your number is. If you trust in me, I can deliver the victory. And I want you to know that what you're doing, he had trained servants and he armed them and they went and they took care of business and he brought Lot, his family, and all the goods back and he gave a tenth of it back to Melchizedek and to God. And so your service is not only unto your country but unto your God. So I want you to be the best serviceman, the best veterinarian, and best child care person that you can be. And as you get ready to go and do this, we're going to pray you in, so we're all going to just grab hands here. And Father in heaven, as we are gathered here together this day as the body of Christ, your body, your family, Father, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for the love for the dedication and the example of a grandmother to not only her children, but to her grandchildren. And that they would want to come before you and before this congregation, Father, your body, to be prayed in as they get ready to go into the service and into their fields of endeavor. So, Father, we pray your blessing upon them this day. I pray your hedge of protection around them. I pray that like David would write in Psalm 144 and verse 1, that you are my God who has trained my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I pray that you prepare them in such a way that there will be no weapons by man that's formed against them that will come against them. I pray that you will protect them from every beast of the field, every foul of the air, every enemy of Satan that would be out there, and I pray that they will serve you and country in honor, Father. And I pray in return that you watch over them, keep them, bless them, bring them home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless y'all.
Now for all the young'uns, Miss Brenda is going to take you up to class. She's standing right back there, so all the young'uns who's ready to go up to class, she's going to take you. Now's the time for that. Whew. Got to try to be able to see straight here. Are you all ready now for the Word of God? And I want to thank the entire family who is here to get together today to, to witness this and to help pray these young folks in. And thank you for allowing us to do that. Before we begin our lesson, let's, let's bow to the Father in a word of prayer and, and prepare your hearts and your minds to receive the Word of God, and, and I'll close this out. Father, as we prepare to break open your holy and divine word, we, we've talked about garden and we've talked about service, but you know that the food that we eat of daily, our daily bread that we ask your blessing upon, is only sufficient for this mortal body of flesh that's going to go back to the dust of the ground as we studied it a couple of weeks ago. The Father... Your holy and divine word is manna from heaven that sustains. Sustains the eternal everlasting soul that we have that was breathed into us the breath of life from you, Father, as we were born. And so, Father, may we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. May we realize that your word is holy it is divine, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to men as the inspired breath of God and it is all truth. And today, we're, we're going to open up an old, old story. We're going to meet, finally, our enemy on the battlefield, this planet Earth. And we're going to meet him not in the way folks think. Most folks think of him as a red-deviled, pitchfork-carrying tyrant who who is just out to stab us with that thing but you know what we're going to find out that he's most dangerous when he's subtle when he's shrewd when he's just in casual conversation with us from one of his agents so father this was written thousands of years ago but you knew we would be studying it today i pray that this manna will nourish and strengthen our spiritual life Pray that it will never leave us, Father. I pray that what goes in will never leave our heart and our soul and our mind. It will be ingrained. And it will be there for us forever to exhort us. And in everything we do, everything we sing, we pray, and we study, everything that we do is for one purpose, to give you worship, to praise, glory, and honor you. And so, Father, that's what we ask to be able to do this morning. We pray your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want to, turn, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. 
And what we've studied so far, we've seen why man is here. Man is here to, to settle that, that conflict between Satan and God that started sometime in eternity past up there in the heavenly realm. And there was the battle and the rebellion. And there was the trial. And that, that appeal of that trial is, that's not right. And so God says, I'm going to form man. I'm going to make him a little lower than you angels. He's never going to have been where you were in that heavenly realm. He's never going to have seen me in that realm. But yet, only by faith in the words that I give through the Holy Spirit unto the men who's going to write this, just by reading that and instilling faith in their hearts, they will believe even unto death. And by doing that, that proves that I am right in casting you into your eternal place in the lake of fire. Because you saw me, you was there with me, you was worshiping with me, and you still would not believe and keep on. And so we're, we're seeing that battle now getting ready to take place of that struggle between Satan and his emissaries and his army and those powers of darkness versus the powers of God and the powers of light. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, it starts, begins to talk about us that the Lord God commanded the man saying, the trees are going to be the focus. The trees will be the focus of the battlefield in the garden. And you know what? The tree is still the focus. You know why? Because in a week or two, we're going to see that after the fall, after the temptation, after the fall, That God's going to look at that tree of life that's there after they've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he's commanded in verse 16 that they don't do. We're going to find at the end of chapter 2 that God says, if they go now and partake of the tree of life, and then there's silence, there's like dot, dot, dot in the original. And it's like God's thinking. What? The dominoes are falling as to what would happen if they would eat of the tree of life while they're in this situation right now. And it says, no, we're going to banish man from the garden. And we're going to place cherubs there with swords of fire whirling that, that's going to guard the entrance to that. And that tree is going to be removed. But the battle was over the tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Those trees have been changed into a battle of another tree. And you know what that tree was? The cross of Jesus Christ. Today, there is still a tree. It says that he was hung upon the tree for our sins. Cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. He bore our sins there. And the battle between life and death is still a battle over a tree. It just changed focus of which one it is now. But we're focused on the old one. And we're going to see that God had a tree of the knowledge of good and evil set in the midst of the garden. And so was the tree of life. And then he set man into the garden as he had prepared. And it says that the Lord God caused all kinds of trees and different things bearing fruit for them. Some of it was beautiful for their eyes. And so he prepared everything for life. And then it says some of it was good for food. And so that was, that was for life and godliness. Those, those trees were everything that man needed. He gave them the fruit of it. But then he says this, the Lord God says that you will not eat of that tree. For in the day that you eat of it, thou will surely die. I, boy, I wish I had time to get into that because I've, we've got some new folks here. 
um, that's, that's not heard this. Do you want to, do you want to hear what that really means? You got time today? I don't hear it. Yes, I'll just move on. Okay. Thank you, Ray. Whenever it says that thou will surely die, that's the word die in the original language twice. You see, whenever God breathed into man's nostrils, it says in the original it was the breath of lives, plural. It's a plural that it says God breathed into him. It wasn't one life, it was two. Man was formed and created from the dust of the ground and formed and made, but the creation part was the breath of God that breathed into those nostrils, the breath of lives, two lives. And man became a living soul. And you say, how can that be? You only have one life. No, you've got a soul and you've got a spirit. And you see, right now, we, through the fall, have to be born again to receive the spiritual birth that comes in. He said, you've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. So right now, whenever we're born, we have the, we're a living soul, but we are not a soul and a spirit, yet you have to be born again of that. Adam, in innocence, was created with the breath of lives. There was a soul and a spirit, and I can prove it to you, because God said that in the day that thou eatest of that, thou will Dying die is what it is. It's two deaths. You got two lives, and that day will begin two deaths, the, death, the day that you eat of it. You say, how's that? Because it's muth to muth in the original language. Dying, you will die. And I'm going to throw another one out there for you as well. The word for death is muth or meth, and we have a drug today that is one of the kings of death that's named after that drug. Just saying. But whenever the, the, he says, dying thou will surely die is death twice. If you will remember, as we're going to see probably next week, that when they partake of that forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they died spiritually, but not physically. Everyone thinks that dying, you, the day you partake of it, you will surely die. I see in Genesis chapter 5 that he lives more than 900 more years and begets many children, he and Eve, together. So he didn't die or he would have made God a liar when he says in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die because he lived 900 more years and beget a lot of children. But he died immediately, spiritually. The first thing that they wanted to do was put aprons on of fig leaves to be able to cover their nakedness. And it wasn't the first thing that they did wasn't an act of of evil. It was an act of good because it was the knowledge of tree of good and evil. And so dying immediately. What happened when the Lord God who come every day to, to come and teach them in the cool of the garden? What happened? They hid themselves. You remember that? They tried to hide. Why? Because they had died spiritually. They no longer wanted that relationship with God. And physical death didn't come for 900 and some years. So we're going to see that, that they were created. They're in the garden. And you don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you do, you're going to face two deaths. And later on, all of us have to now be born again of the Spirit to have that relationship back with God. They had to go through a ceremony where the Lord's going to skin an animal and use a blood sacrifice that's going to represent His Son on the cross, the change of the tree in the years to come. And so, but Adam now, as in our story, he's naming all of the animals. 
and gave them all names, and they were all brought before him, but he never found one that was suitable for him. And the Lord God said that it is not good that man should be alone. And so he takes Adam and he performs that first surgery upon him, takes and removes the rib, and he builds the woman for him, and he brings her to him. And he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cling unto his wife. And they twain, when they come together, will become one flesh. And I want you to know that that part was written by the, by the Holy Spirit through Moses. Moses wrote these first five books. And it was written a few uh, thousand years later. And he's going back and saying that this is a comment from him because Adam and Eve only had God as his father. He was a son of God from the hand of God. But the Holy Spirit is saying that this is the design of family and marriage. And this is the way it was designed in the garden by God. This is the reason that you do this and come together. And so then, all the trees were named only none of them were named except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The rest of the trees had no specific name and the battle centers around them. So whenever the battle gets ready to, to happen, as we turn the page, if you're there with me, and turn over to chapter 3 of Genesis, you expect to see something about God or you expect to see some more about Adam and his wife that he is now... Uh, been given by the hand of God but no what do you see the first thing this is how we know that man is here for that purpose between this battle between we are the focal point of the battle between God and Satan for eternity and so the first thing that we see in the very first verse it doesn't say any of those we are introduced to the serpent and it says now the serpent now the serpent not cash. You know what? He immediately takes the arena of the spiritual battle. And I want you to notice something. The woman is not going to see it coming whenever he comes to her in this verse. She's going to have no idea what he's getting ready to set her up for. It's going to come as a surprise and a shock before it's too late. And I want you to know something. There are billions of people upon the earth today and there's billions that have lived throughout the past since Adam and Eve that never see it coming you never see what Satan is setting you up for in this life because he doesn't always come to you in a red suit and a pitchfork he comes to you in in some of the most enticing most comfortable most familiar things in your life. That's how he's the most dangerous and likes to come to you. I'm reminded, one of my favorite shows growing up was Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Amen. I, I love the Clampets. I love Jed's, his, his moxie. I love his wisdom and his country wisdom. And I remember one time, one of them that really stands out with me is him and Jethro was standing up there by, by the, the uh, big house. And way out yonder, there's a gate that you come in at. And they're shooting at that gate. And the banker comes over and he's like, what are you guys doing? And he goes, we're shooting flies. Said, You're shooting flies and it's like 300 yards out there. And he's like, I don't see no flies. He goes, oh, 
doggies. They're right out there on that. He said, they're, they're lighting on top of that post right there. Drysdale says, how, how are you getting them to light on that post to shoot them? And here's my favorite comment that I've remembered ever since then. Jed just started shaking his head and he said, well, I think it was Jethro said, well, we put honey on there, Mr. Drysdale. And he looks at him and says, honey, and Jed in that, in that wisdom says, of course, Mr. Drysdale, you catch a whole lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. That is the truth of what's getting ready to happen with Satan. He catches a whole lot more flies with honey than he ever will with vinegar. And so now he's coming up to the woman. He comes right up in here. Evidently, he, he is somewhat of a, of a pet almost. He wants to be around her because she is very comfortable with him and very comfortable talking with him. You know, parrots can talk today a little bit and you can teach them some things. Who knows what God had put. This is the smartest, subtlest creature that was, that was uh, among those that God had made. And so he comes to the woman now. And, he's, and he says unto her, he's very shrewd. It says that he was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And that word subtle might have meant a lot a few hundred years ago. But I want to tell you what it really means according to the dictionary is that it's shrewd. It's cunning. It is being very deceptive and out of, con out of control in that way. He... He controls himself to try to bring you out of control. That's what he wants to do. The battle, folks, is over your mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And Satan's battlefield isn't... If you go in to destroy someone because you don't like them, we think, oh, what am I going to do to that person? You know, how can I get even? What am I going to do? And we think about bashing something or, or some kind of confrontation. But Satan goes, no. I'm going to be sly. I'm going to get in and I'm going to come in and make them so comfortable that they expose their heart and their mind and then I can ram it and jam it with the thoughts. Because what he wants to do is to change who you are from the inside out. If he can change your thought process and change who you are on the inside then God has no chance because he's changed you. He wants to cause doubt. He wants to cause like God's not interested in my well-being. God's not really listening to me. He wants to cause those things and to get you to focus on the things that's going on in your life that seems to be against you to get you to go on his side and he acts like he has a sympathetic ear towards you. So that word means to, uh, to be very deceiving, deceptful, and devious in your con, uh, conduct. And then it says that, that the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And um, that word for the serpent is nakash. Now, you know, words have a noun and a verb, right? And a noun is like person, place, thing, and the verb is the action part. Well, the noun is serpent, who, that animal that was there. But the verb form of why it's called the serpent, the verb form of that word means this. I thought this was interesting. It means to practice divination. It means to enchant and to be an enchanter. It means to whisper 
It means to get up in the ear in a comfortable place and try to talk about things to you to influence your mind and what you think. It means to hiss and to whisper. And that's why it's not cash. And it's the serpent. And it's what they call an animal poetic word, which means the way it sounds is what it's representing. And it means someone who practices divination, who enchants with words, who whispers magic spells into the ears. And it means to be silky and smooth with your speech. And then it says this. It says that, that it is a it is to gain control of your thinking. And so then, we as Christians then, the first two things that we find out is about Satan is first of all, he's after your mind. He's going to enchant you. He's going to be very shrewd and deceivious as he does it and act like he's your best friend. And the second thing we see is that he uses agents in your life. The serpent was an agent that he went into you say, oh, Daryl, how do you know that? Well, how do you think he became the, the, the most shrewd of the animals? What was it whenever Jesus crosses over the lake and gets ready to go and a man comes running out of the tombs and he's filled with all kinds of demons and he falls down beside of him and he's going to cast him out and where does the demons want to go that's named Legion? Into the pigs. And they went into the pigs Whenever you look at Exodus and all of those ten plagues, it was against well, animals was a part of it, wasn't it? I mean, the, the river and then the fish and then all of the flies and the, the mites and, and then it was the firstborn of all of the animals. You remember that? Because Satan can indwell those things and cause you to worship them as gods. Every one of those was the small g gods of Egypt that God came against in those ten plagues to show that I am over all of your gods that you have. I'm over your Nile River that you worship as the god of fertility. I am over your, your beasts of the field, those cows that you look at as strength. He says, I am the god over all of those animals. Satan uses agents to reach people. And it might not be a serpent. He might come to you as your best friend. He might come to you as the newscaster on TV. Who knows what agent he's going to use to influence how you think and to get you to change your way of thinking away from the word of God and the principles of God to follow something else. But he uses words. It was a casual, comfortable conversation that he had. And then he used the agent to get unto the woman. And we need to be just as God uses us. We are the ambassadors for Christ. Are we not? So we are the agents of good in this world. And Satan has his agents of warfare against that for his purpose. Now it says that he comes to us with shrewd and cunning words to bend the mind. I want to refer you to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It talks there about the doctrines of Satan, the doctrines of demons. Timothy tells him there in 4.1, The Spirit of God speaketh expressly that in these latter days, and folks, we're in those right now, amen? These latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits 
and doctrines of demons. So you see that it's the things that look seductive that lure you in. But what they are are the doctrines of demons. He speaks nothing but lies and hypocrisies. And what he wants to do is to change your mind. And in changing your mind and your way of thinking against God, it sears it like a hot iron. And so that you don't go back to worshiping God. But you continue. He has seared your mind against those things. He's turned you against it because they are too much for you to follow those things. And he sears your conscience and causes us to depart from the faith. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, hold Genesis right now and turn there with me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as we get into these tactics, because we have to know how he operates and what he's doing in our lives if we're going to stand against the wiles of the devil. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, Paul says that I would to God that you would bear with me for a moment in my folly. You think I'm talking some, some folly and some funny stuff here, but he says bear with me, and I mean bear with me for a minute. Cast everything else you're thinking about out and bear with me. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I have espoused you unto one husband, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin unto Christ. You know, whenever we come to Christ and we're, we're baptized into Christ and we arise a new creature, we're now a part of the body of Christ, but we're also now the bride of Christ. We, we are espousing to him. That's one of the, the metaphors that's used in, in our faith. We are waiting for him, the husband, to come and to receive the bride. And that's why this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And then he says this. I, you are engaged to someone waiting for him to come and get you, but... There is another suitor who is after your heart to take you away from that one who has espoused you. And I fear, lest by any means, that the same way the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, that your minds also be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see how he works? It goes all the way back there and it still works today. And Paul says, I am worried because you are a spouse to Christ. You are waiting for him to come and take you to the marriage feast in the heavenly realm. But there's somebody else that's trying to break up your relationship. Because what it is when you come to God through Christ, you now have a relationship with God through Christ. You have a relationship and he is to be your husband. And he says, another guy wants to break that up. And the way he does it is he beguiles you. He, he, he leads you astray. Now you can't make these things up. I am going over this lesson this morning. I wrote it yesterday. I wake up early so I can go over it again before I come here and get it in my heart. The moment Tanya and Gary are up on Lake St. Clair, Michigan, fishing. The moment I get to this passage, my phone goes beep, beep, beep. And I look, and there's this picture, and she says, Good morning to my favorite minister at NLCC. And I thought, 
is that special or not? Because I'm about the only one. But then she says, much love and everything to everyone here. And she says, what a beautiful day in Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be here. And you can't hardly see it, but Gary's holding up that small mouth, and he's got it lipped. And can you see something that looks like it's protruding from the front of his mouth? Can you see the white bait that is there in the front of the mouth? It looks really good back here on the computer. But that, and that's not a nose coming up or a lip in the front. That is a white bait that he used to catch that fish. You call them fishing lures. Well... That was where I was at, this section of scripture, when he did that. Now, go on back to the next slide, and I'll show you what that means, why that's special. Paul, I was reading where Paul said, By any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his uh, subtility. You know what the word beguiled means? Listen to this. You can't make this stuff up. I told her, you don't know the God wink that just happened. The word for beguiled is exopatao, which means to seduce and to thoroughly deceive. It comes from the root word of, I'm going to break out into some sticks for you. Welcome to the grand illusion. Come on in and see what's happening. Pay the price. Get your ticket for the show. You see, he's, he's putting the grand illusion on. Beguile and subtility. Then it says this. It's the grand illusion of a bait, a luscious bait that looks good but is hiding the hook. That's what this word means. It is the bait that looks good for you that has the hook hidden inside that's going to pull you out away from God. And you can't make that up. Gary had the fish with the bait in his mouth that he had just pulled from the comfort of the... If that was us, that's the comfort of God waiting on our, our, our husband to come and get us. And it lures us with something that looks good and hooks us and pulls us out into his hands instead of into the hands of God and the environment of where we're supposed to be. That's what the word means. It means something that is baited with the hook inside that pulls you in. So Paul is telling us as Christians, I'm worried about you because you get too comfortable with the things that are going on in this world and they become normal to you and the more they put it out there and the more they say it and the more it's around, the more you become comfortable with it and pretty soon it can hook you and lure you in before you even think about it. It doesn't stick out to you anymore as the Word of God is against that. For such, he goes on to say, there are false apostles, there are deceitful workers, and they transform themselves. They don't want to look like they are. They don't want to look like a hook. They want to look like the bait. So they transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, and he is not one. So therefore, don't think it a great thing if the ministers of Satan that is working throughout this world who are wanting to hook you with a bait that's going to pull you away, don't think it's something great that they also look as ministers of righteousness, but their end is going to be according to their work. So don't fall for the bait. You've got to know the Word of God, and you've got to know it by heart, and you've got to know what's right from wrong, and you've got to stick to it and not take the bait. 
And that's what we're up against here. Because he comes to kill and still to destroy. But that hook is covered up with all the goodness and preciousness and sweetness of something that looks like it's something that you want. And it's for your well-being. So now come on back to Genesis chapter 3. Because now we can begin to see what's going on. And there's one more great truth of how he works against us that I want you to see today before we get ready to close. So the serpent made his way to the woman and she's very casual with him. It's a casual conversation. If you remember when we studied how Satan fell, it said, by your conversations, you become puffed up and said, and iniquity filled your heart. Your conversations. The conversations that you have with those that you think want your best interest at heart, co-workers, anyone, people on TV, whatever, you think they have your best interest, but they don't. And they begin coming at you in conversation. That's the way that you're seduced over. And so he said of the woman, now what does he do? He goes up and he says, hey, did God say that you don't eat of every tree in the garden? Now what's he trying to do? Ever since she's been created and built from the rib and presented, she's probably not thought too much about that tree in the midst of the garden. The Lord and her husband has said, don't eat because in the day we do, uh-oh. So you toss that out. We've got all these other things. But Satan's desire is to take the one things that you're not supposed to be looking at and he knows how to put them right in front of your eyes. She shouldn't have, she's not been thinking of this at all, but now all of a sudden he wants the focus and the attention not to go on all the trees that's good for food and for beauty of the eye, but he wants the focus to be upon the tree that has the hook. And he said, did God say that you can't? And she starts to tell him, no, God said that we can have of any tree uh, of the garden except the one tree that's in the midst of the garden, that tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. But I want you to know something as he begins the conversation with this. Yea, hath God said. Did you see it? In those few words, did you see how he was tricking them? How he's tricking her. Did you catch it? Probably not because it was last week whenever we were studying chapter 2. Let me tell you what's going on here. He is changing the focus and he is, he is beginning to deny the, what we would call as Christians the Lord Jesus Christ. He's beginning to deny the husband. He's trying to lead you away from that. He is denying the relationship that she has with God. Let me explain. He is taking that relationship and making it impersonable and casting doubt that God didn't have her best interest at heart because he didn't want her to eat of that tree. When he said, Yea, hath God said, he has just diverted her from the personal relationship with the Lord and salvation. Let me show you why. Genesis chapter 2. Eleven times. Eleven times it is mentioned. These are the generations... When God created, and then it says that the who made them? Lord God. That the Lord God made, not just God, the Lord God. Jehovah or Yahweh Elohim. Whenever it's 
whenever it's like God, it's generic. It can even mean small g gods. How many times have you heard people on TV try to tell you, all you got to do is believe in God? It's okay to believe in God, and a lot of people have who their God is, but if you believe in God, you're going to be all right, and your road leads to heaven. How many times have you heard, heard that from people? That is the lie from Genesis chapter 3, because that is a generic term that can even be used for angels who are higher beings because many times little e elohim refers to little g gods all through the bible there is really only one god that we know but god is in three persons and whenever it says lord god or yahweh elohim it's pointing to one particular one of those three and that is the lord jesus christ we know from our studies a couple of months ago that everything was created by the Lord Jesus Christ by Him and for Him. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And in the beginning He created everything. There is not anything that was not made that He, Jesus, the Word, did not create. All things were created by Him and for Him. So whenever you read all the way through here, Yahweh Elohim, or Lord God, you're talking about the Savior. You're talking about the one that you have the personal relationship with. The Lord God is the one who caused it to rain. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. The Lord God planted that garden in Eden. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden. The Lord God commanded man saying don't eat of those trees. The Lord God said it's not good for you to be alone. The Lord God took the rib and made the woman. They've only known Him as the Lord God because they had a personal relationship with Him. Satan comes along and he wants to tell them, it's okay for you to say that there's a God as long as you don't mention Jesus Christ. You know why? I'm going to have to get revved up. I ain't revved up enough yet. <laughs> That's a part of those doctrines of demons that we was talking about in chapter 4 of Timothy and verse 1, give me the next slide. I'm just getting ahead of myself. He wants you, I am here to tell you that hell will be filled with people who said they believe in God. But you have to believe in something besides God. You have to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's Lord God, because that represents his name. It's not God the Father who died upon the tree for our sins. It is not God the Father that we are a spouse to. It's the Son. And I'm going to show you through all of these. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we're not going to hide things from you and handle the word of God in craftiness. Who does that? Our enemy. He handled it in craftiness. He came in subtility to her and beguiled her. But if our gospel be hid to them that are lost, it's because the God of this world did what? Blinded their minds, your thinking process that he is going after. I have blinded their minds, Satan said, that they believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of who? 
Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Christ. He's the image of God and he shines on us. But we don't preach ourselves and we don't just preach God. But we preach Christ as Lord. He is the Lord God. And Satan does not want you to believe in the Lord God because without Him you don't have salvation. There is no salvation in any other name than this name. He, by doing that, he is denying the gospel. He is denying the Savior, but he is recognizing a higher being as Creator. But that's okay to him. Now, Go to the next slide. Because he who knew no sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him and no one else. In Acts chapter 16, I got my Bible open. I read that whole chapter this morning. In Acts chapter 16, the Macedonian call goes out. Paul, he's... He says, let's go. So they pack up and they head that way. And they get over there and they arrive over by Philippi. And there's this woman named Lydia. She's a worshiper of God and she's out at the river and they're worshiping God. And Paul comes and he preaches the word to her. And it says that instantly they all went into that river and they were baptized into Christ because they were worshiping God. But he taught them the gospel of the good news of the one that you get the relationship with. And they were baptized. She said, stay with me in my house. And he did. And they went out preaching the word to that city. And the people there who were ran by the world system of Satan didn't like him turning their world upside down. And so they went and complained. And they said, he's acting in a way Romans should not act. And he's talking about another Lord of your life. And so they brought him in. They whipped him and beat him with rods. And they cast him into the prison. And then it says... The, the, as they were in there in that prison singing at midnight, praises unto the Lord Jesus Christ. At midnight an earthquake shook the foundations of the prison and all of the chains fell off of every prisoner there and it woke that jailer up and the word of God said that that jailer had been charged. You do not let these prisoners go. So he'd put them in the innermost and he knew that his life depended on it. And when he woke up with the earthquake and he saw that the doors had been flung open, he was sure everyone had left. And he drew out a sword and he was getting ready to take his own life. And Paul cried out to them and said, Do yourself no harm, we're all still here. And that jailer come running in and he folded on his knees and he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, All you got to do is believe there's a God. Is that right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved in thy house. And what coincides with a belief in Christ? The good news of the death, burial, and resurrection that coincides with what you do in baptism. It's your death to self, your burial into there. Your old man is buried of sin and you are resurrected out of the water as a new creation in Christ. So he says, he explained that to him. How do I know? Because it says that he spoke then the word of the Lord to them explaining the death, burial, and resurrection. What happened? That same hour of the night, he washed their stripes and he and his household were baptized straightway. That's how I know what he taught him. Because he taught him, here's the gospel of the Lord, the death, burial, and resurrection. And by faith, when you believe that, you make the same statement as a good conscience towards God in front of everyone. And you take on 
Christ. And so they were all baptized, and that meant they all believed with God with all of their household. But whose name is up there? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verse 16. We all know that one, right? For God so loved the world that He gave what? That? In who? He that believeth in who? Jesus Christ. It's not just saying it's God. That was the lie of Satan. You can believe that there's any God you want to, he says, because I'm going to jump with joy because I gave you the hook and you took the bait. No, I don't, I don't want to recognize, though, the Lord God that you knew and was mentioned 11 times in chapter 2. John 3.38, that chapter ends with this. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 20, everything that Jesus did while he was here, John sums up in chapter 20, verse 31. All of these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you might have life through his name. The Lord God. Romans 11. It says that one day. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And every knee will bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Lord. It's, he's the Lord God that's mentioned in all these places. And then Peter sums it up in Acts chapter 4. You know, in chapter 3, they're going to the temple to worship and uh, as new Christians, and there's a man sitting by the gate that's called Beautiful, and he's asking for alms and wouldn't even look up, and, and, and Peter looks at him and says, hey, look at me, and the man looks at him thinking that, that Peter's going to, to give him some money, and he's getting ready to receive that, and Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I'm going to get, give unto you in the name of who? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you stand up and walk. And he grabbed him and the man jumped and he took steps from that point on and he had never walked in his life. It's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now all of those who had crucified Christ and who were in charge, now they called John and Peter up before him and said, look at what they asked him. He says, who gave you the power to do this? What, what have you done? Look at verse 17. And they set them in the midst and they asked, By what power or by what name have you done these things? Peter began to be filled with the Holy Ghost and he said to the rulers and the elders, If you are examining us this day concerning the good deed that we done unto this impotent man who was at the gate, I want it to be known to you and not only to you but to the entire house of Israel that by the name... Of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That you crucified. That God raised from the dead. Even by him does this man stand. Folks it is by the name of Jesus Christ. And it's through faith in his name. That we are born again. And the devil wants to tell you. That all you got to do is believe that there's a God. 
No, you've got to believe that God had a son, an only begotten son, and that at his name, he has given to him all authority on heaven and earth. And at his name, through his name, we move, we live, we have our being, we are espoused to him, we are saved in salvation. Look at verse 12. He tells them, Neither is there salvation in no other name. There is no other name but the name of Jesus Christ given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. No other name. So you can believe in all of the gods and the, the Hindus, the Islams, the whoever's, or even that there is a, a God. But there is no other name through which salvation comes except through the Lord Jesus Christ. So when that devil in the garden knew that they had a personal relationship with the Lord God, he began to change the mentality first off by saying, did God actually say? He's taking away your salvation and your relationship by doing that. So as, as our worship team comes on up and, and we close this thing out, we didn't get too far in Genesis today, did we? Seems like that happens with me a lot. Because when I sit down, the Lord just leads me into some things. And I think that he wanted us to know today just how important it is to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through his name that you have salvation. It's only through his name are you saved. It's only through his faith. And when the word of the Lord was spoken more perfectly... It says that the Philippian jailer and his family were baptized into Christ and immersed in that, in that way. And they followed that same good news of the death, burial, and the resurrection of my old man. And now I am a new creature in Christ and I am betrothed unto him. And I'm waiting for the day that he's going to come back and to take me to be his bride and to stay with him forever in that heavenly realm. Amen. So if, if you're here today and you've not done that, this, this last slide, or the next last slide, I didn't put the other one up. Let me just tell you what it was. I decided to just put that one up. James chapter 2. You probably heard this. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well, but the devils also believe that and tremble, right? Because that's just God. They believe in God but they would never submit themselves to the Lordship and to salvation through Christ. You can believe in God, you can do, do well, but the devils went that far and they're still trembling. They trembled when the Lord Jesus Christ would walk upon this earth and when he would walk into a room, they would fall down. Lord, what have we to do with thee? Don't send us into the pit before our time. Our time's not yet. They knew. But at his they, they fell down. They acknowledged who he was, but they would never submit their lives. So I ask you today, if you have never submitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, after his death, burial, and resurrection, as he was ascending up into heaven, he told them in Mark 16 and verse 15, 16, he said, I want you to go ye into all of this world 
And I want you to preach the gospel of the good news of my death, burial, and resurrection for your sins. And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection for our sins. He said, teach that to every creature. And he that will believe the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow me in a spiritual death, burial, and resurrection, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not this shall be damned. So I ask you this day, do you have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you done that? If not, I plead, I beg that today is the day and that's ready. I've got clothes and towels back there that will fit you. <laughs> so that you can change and not have to go home in wet clothes. If you decide that today is the day of salvation. I want to name the Lord Jesus Christ. As my Savior and my Lord. Will you not stand and Father as we close out. We thank you for your son, your only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a powerful message is revealed only in the first verse of Genesis 3 that brings Satan to our attention. He comes as an agent. He brings agents, the serpent. He comes with seductive speech. We've got to watch all of these agents with just their conversations that they have. Even the TV, the radio, the newspaper... You name it, social media. There is so many weapons that he is using out there. He tries to draw us in with the good part of it. But he's got the hook buried in there that he's trying to hook you with in the end. So, Father, we've learned he uses agents. He uses lures. And then we found out that he doesn't care if we just believe that there's a God. What he cares about is that we never know that there's a Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died for our sins on the cross. And that death, burial, and resurrection by the power of God was the victory over death, the victory over sin. And that when we follow him in faith in that, and we believe it with our heart, that we shall be saved. And so, Father, never let the devil lure those things away from us. And thank you for that wonderful message of who and what our enemy is and does in just that one verse please help us in our walk and our relationship with you and the lord jesus in his name we pray amen